Lord, we're here today to learn about leadership and one of the critical leadership roles that uh, many of us are going to play or are playing is leadership, leadership in our home. Leadership as a husband, leadership as a father. And we might succeed in many other endeavors, but if we fail in this, this one endeavor, it's a big failure. Many of us come from dysfunctional families and we just don't have great models, great patterns in our own lives to follow after. And so we pray that you would help us by being a guide for us with your word. Uh, that if we've come out of dysfunctional families, ours would be the functional one that would move forward for generations to come and be a blessing to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. And would we operate, I pray, this morning and, and in our families out of the well of grace that you have displayed to us and not out of our own strength or out of our own feelings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so the reason, a guy named Tim Hawkins, the reason those things are funny is, and they're universally funny is because it's universal problems. So one thing that might be helpful to you is just to know that the issues that you have in your marriage are probably not very unique. Sometimes you feel like, I guess I'm the only one struggling with this issue of communication or this thing with my wife or how I operate or how she operates. And maybe my issue is not quite the same, but probably there's a lot of overlap. Uh, so don't feel alone in your, your problems and, and try to ask for help if you need it. So one of the things that I think is helpful when you think about marriage is to think about the picture that you have in mind for marriage. So when you think, okay, I'm married. So whether you are married or you're thinking about getting married one day, what's the picture that's in your mind? Because that's, that's what you think is going, it's going to be like. And then if it's not that picture, and frequently when guys think about marriage, it's not, when you get into the reality of marriage, it's not quite the picture you had in mind. So when, whenever you have a picture in your mind and you don't reach that picture, then there's some level of frustration. Like this was the way it was supposed to be and then you have unmet expectations. So what is that picture? And in the videos that I'm sending you for Paul Tripp, he actually talks about marriage being a workshop. And I thought that was such a helpful picture. So marriage is, is more like a workshop. doesn't mean there aren't blissful moments like this picture before. But I just think if you think of marriage as a workshop, that's a better image and it's not the workshop that you get to pick up the tools and work on your wife. <laughs> it's the workshop for you and your wife that the Lord uses to shape you. So she's being shaped in the workshop and you're being shaped in the workshop. And a lot of times you're the tool for your wife or she's the tool that, that God uses on you. But I think just thinking, okay, I'm, go, I'm, I'm here as a Christian, male or female, I'm trying to be transformed into the image of Christ. And all of the situations God puts me in, they're transformative situations. They're not just random. So, and you could be this at work. It could be this at church. It could be this in your, in your marriage. 
But this, this little pressure cooker of marriage is a place that a lot of transformation happens on you. And of course, if you have children, that's a transformative moment for them. So thinking that having the right picture in mind is helpful. Now we're going to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read these 10 verses that are very familiar to all of us. Paul is talking about different kinds of relationships that we have, and he spends a few verses talking about husbands and wives. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to, in everything to their husbands. So we have 22, 23, 24, three verses for the wives. Now we have seven, eight verses for the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis. This mystery, this marriage, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so first of all, I want to point out, I just want to point out several things here, and then we'll have a chance to talk. First of all, Paul calls this, calls this union a profound mystery. And he's saying this mystery, this profound mystery of marriage is supposed to be a mirror of what you would see with Christ in the church, which is really a powerful comparison. And it's particularly powerful when you think about who plays what role. This is a profound mystery, Christ in his church. How do you explain Christ's love for the church, how do you explain the church's response to Christ's love? That's hard to explain. So Paul says, God organized it so you could see it in a very tangible way. That's in a relationship. That's in a marriage. So when you come to a marriage, a wedding ceremony, the bride represents who? The church. And the groom represents Christ. So just let that sit in your mind for a minute. If you're married, if you're going to get married, you're, a, you're supposed to be a great picture of what it means for Christ to love the church. So if I say, well, Christ loves the church, you go, okay, that's kind of foggy. It's supposed to be like, well, it's supposed to be like how Paul loves Nancy. Oh, okay, like that. Just think about it. Think about the weight of that for you. When your children are trying to understand the love of Christ, they're looking at you and your love for your wife. They get to see it every day for 18 years or longer. 
I don't, I don't know about the love of Christ. I can't see Jesus. I read about him. I have some sense of his spirit inside of me, but I can't really put something tangible on it. Oh, it's how my dad loves my mom. Oh, I see that every day. So that just having that picture, just feeling that weight is, is important. And so Paul calls it a great mystery, and we're trying to demystify the love that Jesus has for the church by saying it's like a husband and wife. And let's look at this command. The command for the wife is to submit to your husbands. Verse 22, that's a whole other sermon. But what would you expect if you hadn't read this chapter? If you read verse 22, wives submit to your husband. Verse 25, husbands blank your wives. What would you put in there? Yeah, rule. Yeah, you're supposed to, somebody's supposed to submit the other, whatever the other role is. I mean, you rule, you govern. You might think about this as government. I'm supposed to submit to the police officer because he's ruling over me. He's got the law or whatever you might think about that. So just, just, just think, okay, I'm thinking, and here's the sad part is a lot of men just read verse 22 and then they just assume, okay, if she's supposed to submit, what does that mean? I'm supposed to rule. But that's not what he actually says. He actually says something that's very surprising. He says, no, you're supposed to actually love your wife and love your wife like Christ loved the church. C.S. Lewis quote is on here. Uh, the husband's, whoops, I think I'm on the wrong slide there. The husband's crown is not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. So follow along with me. Jesus could have legitimately come in authority and power, and his symbol could have been something like a sword or fist. I'm, I'm in charge. But Jesus' Jesus's authority and power came in love, and the picture is a crucified Savior. So if you're trying to think about what kind of picture might represent marriage for me as a husband, this would be a good picture. I mean, a workshop's a good picture, but maybe this is more accurate. What is marriage going to be like for a husband? It's going to be something like this. Now, this isn't the only picture the Bible gives us, but in Ephesians, this is the picture. See, if you have, if you have, if this is the only picture you have in mind, you're gonna have trouble with this picture. Because the first picture is all about your joy, your passion, of course, and we're not trying to take that away. But pretty soon you start acting like yourself in a marriage. And your wife starts acting like herself instead of when you're dating when you're trying to act like somebody else. <laughs> so she might like you. But then you start acting like yourself, and she starts acting like herself, and you're going to have to have this kind of picture in mind. So again, trying to have the right picture in our mind of what it means. Now, I think one of the things that's important here is that when your marriage is, is being formed or is form, formed, it's formed in the everyday mundane habits of your marriage. It's not formed in these big moments. A big moment in a marriage 
There might be about a dozen big moments in a marriage. You know, the day you get married, maybe a big decision about where you're going to move or a job, decision about a child. You know, there's several big decisions that you make in a marriage, but there might be only a dozen of them over 40 years. So most of your marriage runs on the rails of your habits and your everyday events. So when we're supposed to be living this way, it's not this way at just at these one particular big moments. It's this way all the time. All your habits, all your routines are, I'm laying down my life. I'm sacrificing for my wife, for my family. Because I think sometimes you, you might say something like this. Well, I know I was angry. I know I shouldn't have said that. But I mean, that's just a little thing. She really knows. She knows that I really love her. Yeah, that, see, that's not a little thing. Your your anger, your 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 habit, your routine, it doesn't go away because one day you said you loved her in a moment. So just think about your habits and your routines as a husband. That's that's your marriage. That's what happens this morning. This afternoon on a phone call, this evening, what you do with your weekend, that's your marriage. It's not these big moments at this particular wedding ceremony or when we decide, hey, we're going to move to this town or when we're going to have a child. All those things, those are important, but the, the most of your moment are these routine moments. So one of my questions here for you is just, what, are, what, what is your habit and routine about how you deal with your wife? What's your temperature gauge? What's your forgiveness gauge? What's your anger gauge? What, what, what are those things that are every day? Those are things you'd want to know, not just at, at particular moments. Notice the, lo- the, the command to love is not conditional. It's not based on her loving me. You, you know this. It's not... If she gives 50 percent, I get 50 percent, and then we have 100 percent. That right? That's not. That's definitely not it. I'm going to give 100 percent. It's not. It's not conditional. John 4:10. This love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but God has loved us. See, that's how your kid understands, or your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, this is how they know about Jesus, is that you're loving your wife unconditionally. See, if you're supposed to be the picture and you're only loving your wife when she's loving you back, then that's going to be a bad picture of Christianity. That's a a misrepresentation of the gospel. So another question we just have is just, how am I on loving my wife unconditionally? What makes that hard for me? Think about it, the the sin, weaknesses, and failures in your wife are not an accident. You get get into a marriage and you say, "This, this drives me crazy, this habit that she has. Not that you have any habits that drive her crazy, but you know. The habits that you have, that she has that drive you crazy. These, these sinful patterns that she has, these weaknesses, none of these things are accidental. They're opportunities for you to display grace. 
See, she has these sinful patterns, and she needs to feel and sense the grace of God towards her. And one way she's going to know the grace of God is when you act gracefully to her in her weakness. See, if you're looking down, if you're shouting down, that's the picture she gets, that's the picture your son gets of Jesus' love for me. I mess up, he shouts down, he looks down, he's condemning. See, these weaknesses, these flaws in your wife, they're not accidental, they're moments for grace. This moment is a moment for me to display grace, which is going to help her know the love of Jesus, which is going to change her habits, and it's going to display it to everybody else looking in. So we don't want to run past those. Hosea in the Old Testament, this powerful, sobering picture of marriage. You know this story? Hosea, the prophet, he is told to marry a woman who's a prostitute, who's going to be a prostitute. Now, how would you like to have that assignment? It's a tough assignment. Sure enough, they get married, they have kids, and she prostitutes herself for money to other men. Meanwhile, he's instructed by the Lord to keep paying for her. Make sure she has food, make sure she has clothes. Then she gets all worn out, and she's not really worth much, and she's actually sold herself into slavery, and whoever owns her says, I don't want her anymore. I'm going to sell her. I just try to think about how the human degradation of this, this isn't like a story. This is a reality. So here's a woman. She's standing up there. Nobody wants her. She's been completely used up. And God says, Hosea, Hosea, go back. And he doesn't just say, buy her back. You might anticipate that. Here's what he says. Hosea, go and love her. Just think, could you do that? The reason he says that is because the people of God in Israel have prostituted themselves to other gods. And God wants to make sure that even though they prostituted themselves to other gods, he still loves her. He's not just willing to put up with her. He's not just willing to pay a price for her, which he is. He actually loves the people of God. And I need a tangible representation of that on the ground. And Hosea, your marriage is the tangible representation of it. And husbands, your marriage is the tangible representation of the love of Christ to your wife, number one, but to everybody else who sees you. So what we're talking about here is not something that's easy. If you try to do this out of your own strength, it's not going to be possible. So you have to really know the love of God yourself. Finally, the the command here is not reactive, but proactive. The... um, 
I sent a survey out. Probably some of you know it because your wives got it. It was probably, I don't know, six weeks ago. Came out from the church. It was four or five different questions I wanted married women to answer about being married and leadership in their home. Pretty simple, you know, kind of easy answer questions or circle a number. The number one thing wives wanted, and this came out in, in all the questions from their husband. One word. Just think about what you would think. The number one thing women wanted from their husband. To take the initiative. Initiate was almost on every line. Initiate, initiate, initiate. It might be initiate prayer, initiate conversations, initiate leadership with our family, initiate going to church. Init- I mean, it didn't matter what the question was. Initiate, be proactive was the number one response. So this, these are all women who are in Christ Community Church. So why is this such a problem? I mean, this is the number one hunger This is the number one requirement, but somehow we can't get those two matched up. So just a question for you. How are you doing on initiation? Initiating conversations with your wife, like saying, hey, honey, next week we're going to get this video thing from Iron Leadership. Let's just carve out some time. We'll just take a Saturday instead of watching a movie or Netflix or whatever. We're just going to watch this 45-minute video and talk about it. How about that? almost all of your wives would be like, yeah, that would be awesome. But it's just hard. It just gets hard because you get tired. You got your own issues. It's just hard to initiate. You get home and you're done initiating maybe because you've been doing it. So we've got to initiate. There's a passage here, uh, Galatians 5.13, and I'll end here. You are called to be free. This is not directly related to marriage, but I'm going to make a connection to it. You're called to be free, but don't use your freedom. Don't use the grace of God to indulge your sinful nature. You ever done that? You're indulging your sinful nature, and to sort of get yourself off the hook, what do you say? Well, God loves me, right? He's going to be forgiving. Maybe this doesn't get, does this go through anybody's mind? It goes through my mind. And I got to say, okay, that's not right. That's, uh, that's, that's using the freedom of grace to indulge my sinful nature. I still have to say no to my sinful nature, even though I do have the grace of God. The entire law is summed up on, like this in this single command, love your neighbor as yourself, which is echoed here in Ephesians 5. You're, you're loving your wife as you love yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. So when you enter into marriage... You know this, you're bringing your sinful nature into marriage and your tendency with your wife will be to indulge yourself. That's going to be a tendency. To indulge your sinful nature. So if you grew up looking at porn, which many, many men did, you're going to think of your sexual life like what you saw on those screens. And you're going to be using your wife rather than loving your wife. If you grew up in a house or you just couldn't control your own, own anger issues, 
You're going to be indulging your sinful nature by being angry at your wife. And maybe your anger doesn't come out as I slam the door and I yell. Maybe your anger comes in as Cold War. That's the Paul Phillips anger style. I'm not a yeller. But I get to a point, it's just Cold War. I stay on my side of the house, you stay on your side of the house. If I don't say anything, I won't say anything bad. And it's just a cold, icy feeling that I've initiated sinfully. But I have my own sinful nature and I want to indulge it because I'm right, she's wrong, and I'm indulging my sinful nature and I'm punishing her for it. And you're going to have to say no to that. And instead of saying, by saying no, you're going to have to love your wife as yourself. Now just think about this and we'll get to the questions. How do you love yourself? This might be just an interesting thought process. Well, I have needs and wants and I try to satisfy them. That's the number one way I love myself. I'm tired, I want to sit down. I'm tired, I want to go to sleep early. I'm hungry, I want to eat something. I don't want to be bothered by anything, I want to watch television. I mean, what, you know, whatever, whatever comes to my mind, most of the time I think, well, how am I going to satisfy that? That's what you're supposed to do with your wife. Know what's coming to her mind, try to satisfy that. Best you can in the, in the right way. That's what you do to yourself. That's what you do to your wife. In your sin, when, you're, when you sin, how, how do you love yourself? Well, you apply the grace of God. Okay, I've got God's grace, right? Hope nobody else brings it up. Don't want anybody to dwell on it. Hope they're willing to move on from it. Right? That's what you want. When your wife does that, do you do that? Hey, I see that you've got this sinful pattern. I want to apply grace. Or do you want to apply judgment? I don't want somebody to keep bringing back my sin up, but honey, I'd like to revisit this sin that you did five years ago. See, then you're not loving your wife as you love yourself because you have all those things you would want from somebody, but now you're not giving that back away. You usually think you're right, right? And even the times you're wrong, at least you meant well, right? I mean, yeah, I didn't know that, but I mean, now I got some new information and, oh, you're right, I didn't think about it that way. But what, do you apply that to your wife? She's usually right. And when she's wrong, she meant well. Or you're an idiot. See, you see, if you, if you love yourself a certain way, if you could just apply those principles to your wife, think about how well-loved your wife would feel, like you're loving yourself. All right, there's a lot of questions here. So probably if you're not married, you need to be in a group of somebody who is married. But you can think about these things about how you would love another person, period. And you might think about these pictures that you have and make sure you have the right picture. And we'll take about 15 minutes and talk. Ready? Break.